Good morning once more, and before we get started, I'd like to introduce some guests from our sister churches in the U.S. There you go. So from San Antonio, which is the church which Katrina came from, uh, we have Paul and Diana. If you could guys stand up, please. They're visiting New Zealand. If you'd like to send Katrina something, give it to them. And if you want to give me something, give it to me. And then also from Colorado Springs, we have Jeff. Bro, if you could stand up. Great to have you here. Today we are shortening our service. Um, th this week we had one of our church members suddenly pass away due to an epileptic seizure on Tuesday. And it was our brother Lee Norrie. On Tuesday night he passed away. And I just want to take a minute just to comment on a little bit about this. The funeral will be this afternoon at noon. And Gillen will give us more of the details during the announcements. But I just really want to say that during this time, grief is very appropriate. In Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Godly men buried Stephen. And they grieved and mourned for him. So godliness is equated with grieving in that passage. And, and on the other side of the coin, there's also great hope. Because we know that five months ago, Lee was baptized into Christ and made Jesus his Lord. And that's very inspiring because on, on a few levels, it, it's a testament to the graciousness of God. He knows everybody's time and place. And so he knew that Lee needed to be saved this year. It also helps us as a church to understand that our faith is so real. Because it was five months ago when Mir and Olaf invited Lee into their home for dinner, invited him to church, and that started his pathway to becoming a disciple. So when you talk to people about your faith, you better know it's real, and it matters, as our brother Lee is a testament to. And so to, today we, we will worship God and we'll take communion and we'll probably experience grief and a range of emotions. But let us know that there is hope because of the resurrection and let those who are able celebrate his life today over on the North Shore at his funeral. Amen. Also, in, in local news, Monique took a trip to the United States also and she came back with a boyfriend. <laughs> She didn't come back with a boyfriend, but she came back dating. And the boyfriend is going to follow, hopefully, prayerfully. That's public now, but he, he, I'm not sure he's coming here, but we can all persuade him. But anyway, congratulations. Monique is now dating one of our brothers in the San Diego church. And his name is Ethan, and word is he's a professional golfer. So if any of you take up golf, then uh, go ahead and contact him and get him to move over here. Or just, you know, something of that nature. <laughs> I want to draw your attention to several disputes that have happened in church that caused splits or division. The first one is kind of intense. There was a dispute over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. That's a real genuine discussion. And I think we should even discuss it as well as we start to look at Tyson and Jonathan. It became a heated debate. And because of that, there was people that left church because of that discussion. There was another dispute about which picture of Jesus to put in the lobby. And it became a heated discussion and debate. I was more curious about who took the pictures. But nonetheless, there was people that left church because of that. 
There was another dispute, and this was a highly disputed one, how to spell hallelujah with an H or with an A. Is it hallelujah or is it hallelujah? And because of this dispute, several people left this church. And my favorite one, although it may sound more like a myth and has a hint of mythology in it, there was a big discussion if Adam and Eve had belly buttons. I think it's like the ultimate form of navel gazing, isn't it? But there was a discussion about this stuff. And and while it's silly, there is a sadness to many churches that split over such discussions and over such debates. And if you've learned about Christianity or church history, you know that there's lots of division and lots of splitting in the history of church. And why is that? Well, the reality is in life and, and even in church, we have these heated disputes. Some of them are pretty silly. Some of them are pretty significant and can cause division. And luckily for us, the Bible has a template on how to solve this kind of stuff in our passage this morning from Acts chapter 15. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 15, we'll read this chapter and talk about three points about how to stay unified when there's discussion and heated debate. Let's pray together and then we'll read Acts chapter 15. Father, we are grateful, so grateful that our faith is so real. That whenever we open our mouth to proclaim the gospel, it can change someone's eternity. And I pray that that becomes real for every member of our church this morning and for the rest of their lives. And as we worship you and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, help us also to be reminded that this is going to take place in Lee's life. He'll be resurrected and experience freedom for eternity. Help us be guided by your spirit as we read your words and help us apply them not only to our lives, but to bring this gospel message to a world that desperately needs it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom Taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a big deal. They're saying, unless you do this, you don't have salvation. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled to Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. In verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. It's interesting that the Pharisees are the ones making this argument. They always get bad press in the Gospels, but there are some who converted and followed Jesus. And even though they're still kind of holding tightly to the law, they became Christian. Anybody can become a disciple of Jesus. In verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. As a reference to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles in the group there. 
He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. What a powerful statement as Peter recounts his experience with the Gentiles. And in verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. That's pretty significant that the whole assembly listens. If you've ever been in any kind of argument, disputed or heated or not, it's a big challenge to simply listen. Often you're forming a rebuttal in your head and not really listening. But here in this case, they're listening to Paul and Barnabas telling their experience. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who now leads the church in Jerusalem. And he says this in verse 13, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And in verse 22, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Bersabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them they sent the following letter. And this is a very, very short letter considering the amount of discussion and heated debate that went on. Check out how short this letter is. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So... We all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word the mouth, but the word of mouth, what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You would abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. I mean, you would think, hey, we, ha- we just had this intense, heated, hot debate, discussion. It was intense, but it's just a really short letter saying, hey, make sure you do these things, and that'll be good. Farewell. Verse 30, so the men were sent off and went to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. 
But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. That's our passage for this morning. Again, you can see the potential heated discussion involved here. And the context is, if through the, through the book of Acts, the church has been Jewish by nature. But in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, there's some one-off Gentile converts. So the Jews probably think that's okay if one or two Gentiles become Christians. But by the time 10 and 11 roll around, whole churches are made of Gentiles. And so now there's a Jewish church and a Gentile church, and they're trying to figure out how to worship together, how to be saved. They're trying to figure out how this is going to work. And this debate becomes very intense with the question in verse 2 centered around salvation. And they say, unless, unless, unless this happens, these guys aren't saved. Unless they're circumcised, these guys aren't saved. Now, think about being Paul and Barnabas. And the missionary journey they've just accomplished, chapter 13. They've gone 2,000 kilometers, planted at least seven churches, seen many people become Christians. And now these people say, all that missionary work, all those churches you planted, all those kilometers you traveled, all those people you reached out to, they're not saved unless they get circumcised. Man, this is intense. This is an intense discussion. Salvation is at stake. So in one corner, you have this group who says, the Gentiles, they have to do everything by the law of Moses. They need to get circumcised. And in the other corner, you have Peter, who, who specifically says, no, it's by grace. That's what he specifically says in verse 11. They're saved by the grace of God. So here's the debate. You need to be circumcised. No, you're saved by grace. And they do come to one accord. That's what verse 25 says. And they say... No need to be circumcised. And all the brothers that had just been converted said amen to that, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's look at three points this morning about how to engage in this kind of conflict, especially in our spiritual lives. Monday. I have two points, and the first one is on essentials. Stand firm. What's, what's at hand here? Well, we've seen it. Verse 2, it's salvation. That's the accusation from the party of the Pharisees. Unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. On the other end of the debate is Peter in verse 12. He says, by the grace of God. And in this, in this debate, Peter stands up and basically just gives his experience. Hey, look, God didn't differentiate between us and the Gentiles. I personally talked talk to Gentiles and I saw them get saved. I saw the Spirit come on them. They didn't need circumcision. They didn't need to follow the law. I witnessed this. And we all agreed to this a few chapters ago. Why are we here talking about? That's what Peter stands up. And then, a verse, and then later on, Paul and Barnabas. And, and they only get one verse. Verse 12. And they're the kind of ones at the center of the debate, aren't they? They only get one verse. It says they stood up and said, here's what happened. I think that's an insight, too, on how to have disputes. Because it's so emotional and there's such passion involved, they bring in third parties. And they don't really do much talking. The other parties do most of the talking. That's a good conflict resolution thing. If it gets heated, bring in somebody else to help sort out the debate. And then Peter tells his experience of verse 7 through 11. And then James stands up in this, in this assembly as well. And look what he does as he comments on this assembly. In verse 15, he says, The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. What's he saying? Hey, there's a scripture 
that agrees with what we're saying. And it comes straight from the prophets. They said this would happen a long time ago. So James cites that. He cites a passage from Amos in verse 16 and 17. And then in verse 19, he gives some strange regulations to our ears. But in verse 19 and 20, he also gives some principles that are found in the Old Testament. And so, at the, at the, at the center of this debate, James says, let's look to the Bible. Let's see what the Word of God has to say. You know, not opinions, not emotion, not tradition. What does the Bible have to say? And what the Bible says, we'll stand firm on. Otherwise, we can be flexible. And he specifically says that in verse 16 and 17, there's a prophet that said... David's tent will be rebuilt, not his literal tent, but it's referring to his family lineage, which Jesus is from that lineage. And from that, all mankind, even Gentiles, will be called back to God. The prophet said this long ago. It's here in the Bible. They don't need circumcision. They don't need to follow Moses. And then in verse 19 and 20, he gives these Strange regulations. If you're interested in, in Bible study and Old Testament law and ritual, and here's where all this is found. James dug through his Bible and found a scenario similar to the present day case. And you can read through this on your own. I'm not going to explain it at length now. But here's where those come from. Idolatry comes from Leviticus 17. The sexual immorality from Leviticus 18. Food that has been strangled from Leviticus 17. And blood, Leviticus 17 as well. And, and after all these regulations ha had been stated, basically, he's just saying, look, the Bible says they're good, but here's a few things that they need to do as well. Not necessary for salvation, but that'll help the Jew-Gentile fellowship be better. And I think that what we find in here is they stand firm on salvation. Hey, the Bible says they don't need this. That's where we're going to stand. And we're not budging. We're not. Even though this party of Pharisees was very animated about the necessary need for circumcision. And it's a, it's a testament to us. If you want to follow Jesus... The Bible is the last word. That's what we stand firm on. on what the Bible has to say. Frankly, if you're passionate or your mom said something or your pastor or me or your grandma said something and it's not from the Bible, I don't care about it. Come on, bro. And that's not meant to be harsh, but that's meant to say stand firm on the Bible. Yep. Not tradition, not your mom, not your grandma, not your pastor on the word of God. And James does that. He gets in his Bible and he says, it's right here. I don't care how passionate you are. I don't care how animated you are. Here's what the Bible says. They're saved by grace and we're standing firm. We're not bending. Everything else is irrelevant. Here's what the Bible says. And they stayed flexible. They, stayed, they didn't stay flexible. They stayed firm. That's very important because how do you receive the grace of God? Titus 3 says how we do that. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, Amen. by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You're saved by the grace of God and you receive the grace of God when you're washed in the waters of baptism. And they stood firm on that. Amen. You're saved by grace and you receive it at baptism. Anything else is not allowable. And they stood firm on this. 
When you go to timeshares, if you've ever been to a timeshare and you do this negotiating phase, right? You've done that, John. Well, you know. <laughs> you know, you go and they give you this pitch. You can have this timeshare, you can have this amount of land and this lot, but it's somewhere there's a bottom line where they're not going to budge. We did one and we, we took our kids as a plot. We thought if we bring our kids along, they'll shorten the time to give us. They didn't shorten the time. They didn't care we had our kids there. But, so we go through this presentation and they bring in the first boss and he says, we're going to offer you a deal. We'll give you this package for this amount of money. And we had already decided in the beginning to say no. So I said, no, thank you. They said, are you sure? No, no, thank you. So then they go away and they come back with another boss. And he says, okay, I know my last boss offered you this package for this deal, but I tell you what, I'm going to offer you a better deal. I'm going to offer you this package for this amount of money. And it's like two or 3000 less. I say, no, no, thanks. Okay, they, then they go get it. This happens like four times, okay? It does. And the, the final boss comes in and he says, okay, this, this is the final deal. And if you ever go to one, this is how you do it. You wait for the final guy. And, and the final boss comes out and he says, you know, here's the package. Here's what it is. And, and I still say no. And, uh, but then it's like, can you go lower than that? Oh, no, this is the final offer. So everybody has this kind of bottom line fixed price, but they don't budge. And, and that's the way we need to be in the gospel. I mean, we can tolerate a lot. We can tolerate people. We don't tolerate lots of ungodly ideas. But we have a fixed line that says, no, you're saved by grace. You get grace when you're baptized. We're not budging. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we can be flexible on. But on the what God says about salvation, we don't budge. And we will not ever budge. It's not a prayer at the end of a service that makes you a disciple of Jesus. And if that's offensive, that's coming from the Bible. That doesn't happen in the Bible. It doesn't happen by simply having faith. That's not in the Bible. There's no flexibility on this. And we can stand firm because it's God's word, not our opinions, not what our mom says, not what our grandma says, and not what our pastor says. Now, sure, this brings up questions. What about the man in the jungle who's living by himself and never heard about the word of God? Which is always the question that people ask. And I'm glad they're so concerned for those people. <laughs> like they've ever visited them or made an effort to visit them. But it's just an argument. They're not serious. But you know what? If that man doesn't hear the gospel and I get to the judgment at the last day and God lets him in, praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. You and me, we're bound by scripture. God isn't. God can do whatever he wants. Because he's sovereign. There's a parable about that. People line up and God gives out money and everybody gets the same amount of money. And they're like, hey, how, how come this happens? He says, are you upset because I'm so gracious? So for the last day, if somebody's in heaven, I'm like, what in the world are you doing here? I should be like, praise God, you're here. Because God is God. You and I are human. We're bound by scripture. God is not. And this word encouraged the entire assembly. And they were all glad because they stood firm on the essentials. Lastly, on non-essentials, we need to practice love. Amen. Verse 19 and 20. James says, my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, if you want to 
study this on your own. There's plenty of lengthy, scholarly, smart articles that have different theories about what all this means. And, um, but the majority lean to this idea that these, did, these principles did come from Leviticus 17 and 18. That is all about Jew and Gentiles trying to have fellowship together. Because Jews, if you grow up a Jew, you have very strict rules. You have very strict laws. And you have very strict rituals. And if, and, if, and if you don't abide by those, it's kind of a shock. The Gentiles grow up with none of that. No strict rules, no strict laws, no strict rituals. So when these two come together, a Jew sees a Gentile eat something that they consider unclean. It's a bit of a clash in the fellowship. And it becomes intense. And so what, what, what James has done is he's gone back to the Old Testament. He's found these principles and said, look, in order for this to work, you guys have to be sensitive. Gentiles have to be sensitive to Jewish customs and regulations. It's not going to save you. But you need to love your brother. If he's grown up in a certain culture, in a certain environment, some things you do might offend him. Come on, bro. You'll do well if you don't do those. And you can have fellowship. And, and, and so I think these requirements that James says, when the letter is read in verse 29, if you abstain from these things, you will do well to avoid these. He doesn't say, you'll be saved if you do these things. Now, obviously, you want to keep free from sexual immorality, but there's, there's this idea in here that says, we need, to, we need to find out what's essential and what's not. And when it's not essential, we need to love each other. And there needs to be this room for flexibility. There's a need for love. And everyone is on board with this. It pleased the whole group. They said, yes, this is essential. There's some things that we can be flexible on. Amen. We're all encouraged by that. It's kind of like immigration, right? It's always a hot topic in international news. And you can read all these articles about when someone immigrates into a company, a company, a culture, how much should they adopt and how much should they keep of their own culture? And here I am, an immigrant, speaking on this matter. <laughs> you know, and, and typically when you immigrate to another country, it's beneficial to learn what's offensive, so you don't do that. It's, it's, it's beneficial to learn the cult. It shows you care. It shows you're thoughtful. It shows you, you're grateful, right? Yep. You don't come in and just, you know, fold your arm. And gener generally the consensus is you don't abandon your culture, but you embrace the new culture. Yeah. That's kind of the general consensus when you read all the articles. For instance, if South Africa, if, you know, just say if someone from South Africa were to immigrate to New Zealand and there's a rugby match that happens to take place. And let's just say for the sake of an argument that South Africa might win the rugby test. Now, a South African embracing this principle would come and be mourning because the All Blacks lost. Because they're embracing the culture and they're flexible on non-essentials. Isn't that right, Elsby? Elsby looks like she could deck me right now. But, I, I, but you get this idea, right? There, when you become a disciple, there are some essentials. But everything else, we just need to learn to love people. Yeah. There's a great deal of flexibility that we need to have. And, and often, and this is true of me, this is true of you, this is true of all of us, it's much easier to find something to disagree about in people. Sometimes that's my lean, but instead if I practice this, I can find something to imitate in people. And I believe that's the way we all should be. It's much easier to say, well, this brother or this sister, I disagree with that, but what can I imitate? 
out of love. What, what, what is godly? What is Christ-like about this, brother and sister, that I can imitate? And I think that requires a bit of maturing. It requires a bit of discernment. Because when there is dispute, when there is discussion, we need to figure out, is, is this really a big deal? And if it isn't, hey, bro, I love you, man. And we have different views, but love trumps my rights. And so I'll, I'll, I'll love I'll love you. If you come from a background where alcohol is negative and it was abusively used in your family, then I want to be sensitive to that and I don't want to drink alcohol around you. I have a right to, but I don't want to come in and do that. That's not love. And, and that's not a matter to split the fellowship over. I want to be sensitive and love people like that. It, you know, whatever, whatever. You could pick a topic. What do you think about capital punishment? What do you think about education? What do you think about euthanasia? What do you think about meat? What do you think about medicine? What do you think about not using medicine? What do you think about this movie? What do you think about that movie? What do you think about this type of music? What do you think about that type of music? What do you think about nuclear policy? What do you think about eating vegetables? I don't really care about all that. To be, to be clear, right? I, th- I think some are minor, some are more important, right? I don't say it's all baloney. But if it's not essential, love your brother or your sister. Be flexible on these matters. It, it happens on church matters too, right? How many songs should we sing? Well, I think we should sing two. I think we should sing three. I'm going to sing four. I'm going to sing five. I don't really care, to be honest, how many songs we sing. And it doesn't matter. If we stand firm on what's essential, what side should we put the projector on? I don't care. Just get it up there. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. How should we reach out to people? Yes, there's effective ways and non-effective ways. How should we study the Bible? Yes, there's effective ways and non-effective ways. But the truth is, most of the people that have strong opinions are the ones not really doing the things. That's what I find in the Pharisees. They travel all the way in verse 2. And they say, unless you guys do this, you can't be saved. They're not really on the mission field. They're just on the debate field. And, and, and so they, they, they could have learned to say, hey, we just need to practice love. You guys are obviously doing a great job, but let's discuss this and figure out how to work together. As we conclude and take communion together this morning, I believe we all need to reflect on the ultimate example of this in Jesus. I mean, he's the supreme example of all of these concepts. He is unwilling to budge on essential matters. In the desert, when he's tempted by Satan, they throw some, Satan throws some essential things at him. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not going to use my power for my own good. I'm not going to bow down to you. These are essential things. I cannot budge. And I won't fold. And he does. But then you find him going out and, and hanging out with people that he's criticized for hanging out with. Why are you eating with those sinners, Jesus? Why are you eating with those people? Why are you touching those unclean people? Hey, Jesus is very flexible because he loves humanity. He clearly caused a stir because of his flexibility. And he clearly caused a stir because of how firm he was. And ultimately on the cross, he could have just chosen a portion of humanity that he thought was good enough. These people have gone to church all their life, they have some good views. I'll just die for this portion. Yeah. But he dies for every single person in existence. That's the flexibility he has. I, you know, I want to give every single person in history a chance to understand the gospel. And he lays down his life so that you and I can have that opportunity. Amen. And this is a message that changed your life. And it changed my life. And it definitely changed Lee's life. And it's a message 
that we cannot hold to ourselves. It's a message that's urgent. It's a message that needs to be preached. It's a message that needs to hit this city and this country. There is a God who stands firm on what needs to be stood firm on. And He has a Son who is willing to come to earth to die for humanity. And when we experience this, we're willing to stand firm and be flexible and love people as well. Let us pray together as we take communion as a family.